Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Every year, an old man and his son, they planted a tomato garden together. It was kind of a tradition, but this year, the son had been arrested and he was in prison. And so the dad wrote to his boy, he said, you know, I really miss you not being here and being able to sow our tomato plants, our tomato garden together. He said, the dirt is just so hard, I can't turn it over. And he wrote that in a letter to his son. Uh, a couple days later, he got a letter back from his son and it said, Dad, whatever you do, don't dig in the tomato garden. That's where all the bodies are buried. About a day later, the police all showed up with their shovels and they said a warrant to search his tomato garden. And so they searched the tomato garden for hours and couldn't find a single body. They, they said they're sorry and they left. Next day, the man got a letter from his son and it said, Dad, given the circumstances, that was the best I could do. You should be able to plant your tomatoes now. <laughs> Millennia ago, people understood that the yield of the harvest has an awful lot to do with the quality of the soil. And Jesus is going to use that understanding to teach something very important about the hearts of men. Now, as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Mark, we're going to look at a really, really familiar story. In fact, my wife said to me, let's see how you make this interesting, since everybody knows it so well, right? Uh, but uh, hopefully maybe the Lord will do that for us this morning. I, I want to share with you a couple of ramifications from this very familiar story for most of us. And, and then I want to, I think there's some applicational directives from the Lord, from the story. So we'll, we'll look at those in just a moment. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 4. If you're our guest or first time with us in a long time, we're studying the gospel of Mark and we're at chapter four, verse one. And again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables uh, and in his teaching, he said to them, now, we've already noted that Jesus draws a crowd wherever he goes. I think it was either last week or the week before that. We talked about the crowds and how they were squashing him, and he was afraid of being crushed. And so right here from the get-go, he gets in a boat, sits off the, off the shore just a little bit, and teaches the crowd as they're on the shore, kind of using the boat as a platform. He begins to teach them using parables, it says. Mark chapter 4, verse 34 says that Jesus never taught without using parables. Many of you probably know what a parable is, but let me talk about that for just a moment. The word parable is a transliteration of the Greek word parabole. It means we just lifted the Greek word out of Greek and we put it into English. So a parable, literally, a parabole is, and that's probably Greek with a Spanish accent, but uh, that is to throw beside. That's what the word literally means, to throw beside. So a parable was a story, a real literal story, that you threw beside some other truth that you're trying to, to illustrate. And uh, so that's what a parable was. It could be more like a metaphor or even an illustration at times because you'll remember, either again last week or the week before, Jesus uses a logical a logical deduction with regard to you know, them accusing him of doing what he did by the power of Satan. He says, how does, how does you, you bind the strong man? I mean, how do you steal from the strong man unless you go in and bind him first? And, and the Bible calls that a parable. So parables are more than just those stories. They, they were like illustrations or metaphors. 
So Mark is going to share with us several parables that Jesus taught. We'll look at some more next week. We're only going to look at one this morning, just the first one. So now we're at verse 3. Here's the first parable. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And he sowed some seed. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And then the sun rose and it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell away, fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is a really simple story. It's really easy to follow. It's about a farmer or somebody who's going out to sow and plant seeds. Uh, in that day, the way they planted seeds was the broadcast method. That is, you go out and you'd pull the seeds in your hand and you would just cast them and you would want them to fall into good soil, of course. I sowed grass seed last uh, Last spring, and I used the broadcast method. I didn't throw it from with my hand. I had one of those little things you walk in front of you and it sprays it out. Some of the seed landed on our driveway, right? Doesn't always end up where you want it to end up. And in the story that Jesus tells us, some of the seed landed on the hard soil where the path had beaten it down. Some of it landed on the shallow soil. It sprung up, and or the birds ate. I forgot to say that. The birds ate the seed that landed on the path. The second soil was a shallow soil. The, the plant sprung up immediately, but then when the sun came out, it scorched, it burned it, it died. because It didn't have any roots. Still, the, the third seed landed uh, in some weedy ground, and though it came up, the weeds choked it out and killed it. We planted grass out here last year with the hope that the kind of grass that we sowed is going to kill out the weeds. It's supposed to be a grass that'll just kill weeds. Well, this is the other way around. The weeds are killing the, the crop that was, uh, that was sown. And then finally, he says, some of the seed fell into good soil and it yielded a great harvest, 30, 60, 100 full. And then he finishes his story by simply saying, if you have ears to hear, hear. You can hear what I'm saying here, he says. I think the point is like this. If you hear what I'm saying and you understand, let it teach you. I think that's his point there in that, in that last statement. So uh, that's what Jesus shares with the crowd. He doesn't share any more. He doesn't, he doesn't help them understand what the parable means. He just gives them that story and ends, got ears to hear? Listen to what I'm saying. So I imagine people went home after, after that time there by the, by the Sea of Galilee, and they went home and they thought about that. What did that mean? They probably asked each other, what do you think Jesus meant by that story of the sower and the seeds? Well, the disciples themselves didn't really understand it. So we see in verse 10, look, they ask him about it. Look at verse 10. And when Jesus was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, doesn't that seem contradictory in regard to the fact that a parable was a story you threw alongside something to help illustrate it and make it understandable? Doesn't this seem almost contradictory? Well, I think Jesus, what he's saying is this, I'm going to teach in such a way that people who have an openness to the kingdom, they'll be able to hear. 
They'll be able to understand. They'll see what I'm saying. But those whose hearts are hard, I'm teaching in such a way I don't want them to hear. This is sort of like a judgment. I would suggest even that this is sort of like the judgment we talked about last week with the unpardonable sin. Do you remember that? We, we talked about this at the end with the unpardonable sin. Does, does God just leave people in their hardness? I mean, does he do things that just circumstantially will harden their hearts? Or does he harden their hearts by, by directly harden their hearts? I, I think Jesus is, is saying here, I'm going to teach in parables. And I'm not going to explain to them, to you has been given the, to know the secrets of the kingdom, he says, but I'm not going to explain my parables to them so that those who have an ear to hear, I mean, it's going to help them grow, but those who don't have an ear to hear, I'm, this is a judgment. I am seeking to harden their hearts. The same rain, I don't remember where I heard this first. I've quoted it often over the years. The same rain that softens the ground hardens the ground. And so the same teaching that Jesus can give can cause open and repented people to hear and to grow and to, and to go deeper in their understanding of the kingdom. But to those whose hearts are rebellious and resistant, then this is only going to make them be harder. So then Jesus explains the parable to his disciples. But as he does, at the same time, it seems like he's frustrated that they can't get this simple parable. So let's look at what he says in verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? I mean, there's the frustration. You don't get this simple one? How are you not going to get all the other parables I'm going to be teaching? And of course, he will explain so many of them later on to them in private. The sower sows the seed, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So there he explains the parable to them. He says in this first soil, hey, it's really the people whose hearts are really hard. And when the good news of the kingdom comes out there, they don't, they don't receive it at all. They don't get it at all. And Satan comes and takes it away from their minds. Verse 16, and then these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while when tribulation or persecution or persecution arises on account of the word immediately they they fall away and so this this group of people here they're the ones that the seed of the kingdom the the word of the kingdom falls uh on their ears and um and they hear it and they rejoice they get excited but when it gets tough and when persecution comes because now they're claiming to be a part of his kingdom he says they fall away they they die off then there are others sown uh, the ones the others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness for riches and desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. These are the people that, he says, the word of the kingdom is sown in their hearts, and, and it bears, I mean, it starts to come forth, but then, hey, it gets choked out by the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world, and it dies. And then some of it falls on good soil. And when it falls on good soil, it brings forth lots of fruit. Real quickly, let's talk about, let's talk about the seed in the parable. What is the, the seed in the parable? Well, it's just called, Jesus calls it the word. If we went to the parallel accounts in Luke, Luke calls it the word of God. Matthew identifies it as the word of the kingdom. It's the word of the kingdom. It's the good news of the kingdom. The sower is anyone sharing the word of God. Maybe more specifically, it's Jesus. Maybe he's referencing himself as the sower. But it's the word of the kingdom and somebody's sowing it. 
Jesus, remember, he came forth preaching the kingdom of God has come. The king is here. And so he's really, he's really the sower here in this case. I kind of got ahead of myself and did it different than it's in my notes. So let me catch myself up. Um, so once he ends this parable, once he ends this parable, again, he ends it to them. And I think for the, for the disciples too, if you have ears to hear, listen to what I'm saying. Hear what I'm, hear what I'm saying. Um, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I'm such a note person, forgive me. I'm going to tell you something about your pastor, right? Uh, I'm such a note person. I'm not one of these extemporaneous guys that goes off, and I got ahead of my notes. I thought, I thought I'd try to do something new. And Anyway, so I'm a little bit lost here, so give me a second. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> I'm going to get to my application. If you have ears to hear, let them hear. I got, I got two suggested uh, two suggested ramifications of this parable for us, okay? And one of them is very clear and very direct. And I, and I believe it's specifically what Jesus is trying to say to us as disciples. The other one is more indirect by implication, uh, by implication maybe more than direct application. But nonetheless, I, I think this is gonna be really helpful to us. So what's the first ramification of this parable for us as part of the kingdom? Here it is. It's simply this, be good soil. I think that's the whole point of this parable. Jesus is saying, be good soil. Be the kind of soil that produces fruit. And in that directive, in that ramification, he's got, he's got three applicational directives for us. And here's the first one. Be, how, how do you be, be good soil? How do you and I be good soil? Here's the first thing, be open. Look at verse 20. In verse 20, he says, they hear the word and they accept it. The good soil is the, the soil that is open to receive what, what God is teaching. Good soil listens and is open to truth. Remember the first soil? The first soil is the antithesis of the, of the good soil. The first soil was the hard soil. It was the packed soil. It was the soil that couldn't receive anything, couldn't hear anything. Good soil listens and is open to God speaking to it. So here's what God's saying. If you're going to be good soil, you have got to be someone who's willing to listen, someone who's willing to hear, someone who's open to learning from the Lord. It means you're open to God speaking to you and challenging you and showing you things and speaking into your heart so that you listen and want to do. So what, what's the critical question? The critical question is, what exactly is it I'm supposed to listen to, right? What is the word I'm, I'm supposed to be open to? Again, Luke said it was the word of God. Matthew said it's the word of the kingdom. So we need to be open to listen to God about his kingdom, about the things in his word that he wants to tell us about his kingdom. We, we need to be open to more than that too. In Mark 4, 11, Jesus said, we need to be open to listen to the secrets of the kingdom, not just to the existence of the kingdom or that the king is here. Remember, Jesus began all this by saying, the kingdom of God has come. The king is here. I'm here now. But there's also these secrets of the kingdom. And, and so this is the seed that Jesus is sowing in Israel. It's the seed that he's sowing in our hearts today. So I think we need to unpack this for just a moment. The kingdom of God isn't something we're going to one day in the future. The kingdom of God is a present reality. 
And we're a part of it now. The kingdom of God is here now. Now, our king isn't with us physically anymore. He took on our physicality. I'm not sure that's even a word. But he took on our physicalness, and he kept it. He still has it. He's in heaven with his redeemed, glorified, resurrected physical self, right? And how that is, I don't know, but he is, right? And, um, and so, but one day he's coming, but the kingdom is now. The kingdom, we're part of the kingdom now. And so we need to be living in the kingdom and listening to our king and letting the word of the king and the word of the kingdom and the secrets of the kingdom change us and mold us. And for that to happen, we have, we've got to be open soil to listen and not think somehow that we can't grow or that we can't learn or there's not anything that God's trying to say to us or teach us or show us. We're the mustard seed kingdom, Jesus would say. We're the kingdom of leaven. These are all secrets of the kingdom. Uh, to, um, to repent is more than just changing our mind about doing, not doing evil and doing what God wants us to do. To ch- we need to change our mind, change our thinking. That's what repentance is. We need to change our thinking about so many things about what it means to live for God, what it, what it means to be a part of his kingdom. And those are changes that he teaches us. But if in our heart we're just like, no, I've, I've got it all down, I've learned everything I need to learn, whatever, we're gonna just become hard soil. And we're not gonna be that kind of good soil that brings forth fruit because we're not open to what God is still trying to teach us today. So that was, that was my first directive. Listen to his voice. Accept the secrets of the kingdom live them out in the world. Here's the second directive. You know, be prepared. And what I mean by that is, if we're gonna be good soil, I've gotta be prepared for the fact that persecutions and tough times are gonna come, you know, and I just need to be prepared for that. I, I think we have this, this idea that becoming a part of the kingdom, and I think they probably did too, that becoming a part of the kingdom means everything goes well that nothing is hard, that I don't have any sorrows and sufferings in my life. But the Bible says, I think, just the opposite. Jesus said that we would suffer and that we would have tribulations in all this. And you know, we, we kind of look through our Western lens, how everything's so easy and wonderful for us. But man, around the world, North Korea, um, Afghanistan, China, What's happening to our brothers and sisters? They are suffering and struggling. And if we're going to be good soil, we have got to be prepared for the truth that suffering comes our way as believers. The problem of evil has dried up the hearts of many who have started to believe. You get that? Many begin to believe, but suffering comes along and it dries up that seed. When sorrows like sea billows roll... They don't say it is well with my soul. They say, where's God? Why is God doing this to me? Because we're not prepared for this idea that you know, it, you know, following the king and being part of his kingdom doesn't mean I'm somehow free of suffering. Now, why does God allow so much suffering in our lives? Your answer to that question is your, anybody remember? Your theodicy, right? The answer to that question is called your, oh no, that's, that's theological, but the answer to that is your theodicy. Why does God, why does a good, all-powerful God allow suffering and evil in the world? Now we all have answers to that, or we, we, you know, we try to understand that. That's called our, our theodicy. My theodicy lies 
Or my answer to that problem of evil lies in the freedom of the will of man. I, I, just, I subscribe to the thought that you cannot have true love without freedom. And so I believe the freedom that God has given us is because he desires, he desires true love. And with that freedom, God has given us the opportunity to reject him to turn away from him. Chris was saying that evil is the absence of God. And so my theodicy would be when we reject and turn away from God, what results is evil. So that's where I think evil has come from. But, but let me be quick to say this. Couldn't God have given us freedom and allowed there to not be so much suffering in the world? Couldn't God have given us freedom and there not be so much sorrow and suffering and pain in, in the world? And, and I, I, I want to say, yes, I believe he could have. I believe God, God is omnipotent and omniscient. God could do anything he wanted, and, and he could have made the world different than it is. So I don't have an answer to why there is so much suffering. I, I believe the suffering in the world is because God has given us freedom. That's why I believe it's here, right? That being said, why there's so much suffering? Why does somebody suffer so much more than someone else. Someone may live to be 100 years old and have very little suffering. And someone may live to just be 35 and their whole life they suffer. Why, why is that? I mean, I don't have an answer to that. But I, I do want you to know I trust the goodness of God. And I want you to trust the goodness of God. And the reason why I say that God is good is because he demonstrated it for us in Jesus. Listen. If what we believe is true, and I believe it is, the, 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 the one eternal existing God, he chose to be one of us, right? I mean, this God who created everything, who had no beginning, he entered into our humanity and took on his, our creatureliness, and then you know what he did with it? He suffered. And he didn't just suffer a little bit, he suffered a lot, Right, so whatever the reason, you know, and one of these days, maybe now we see through a glass dimly, maybe one day God will explain all this to us and we'll be able to understand it more clearly. All I know is that God became one of us and suffered like us. And he says he is good. I believe he's good because he was willing to give his life for me. He was willing to leave his heaven for me. So I think God is good. I trust that God is good. If I'm going to be good soil, I have got to be prepared for suffering and hardship because it comes to all of us. It won't always come to us all in the same level, but it comes to us. And if you continue to look through your Western glasses and say, well, you know, no, God doesn't want us to suffer. You're wrong. You're wrong. The Bible doesn't teach that. But you also, you know, if we look at the world, we're the one, the, the America and the Western world has been an anomaly. The last century or two has been anomalies as far as the suffering of the church. We have suffered so little compared to what our brothers and sisters have suffered throughout the years. If you're going to be good soul, beloved, you have got to be prepared for the fact that you may be called to suffer. You may suffer for Christ because you follow his kingdom. And, and that's what Jesus is talking about. The, the, the North Korean believers who are put in the gulags and all of that kind of stuff or, or just the, the Chinese Christians or the Russian Christians or anybody who's being persecuted for the sake of Jesus. That's what he's talking about. here. But suffering comes in other forms too that has nothing to do with me following Jesus. It's, it's losing somebody you really love. That's, that's a suffering. Uh, Anna's friends, 
And his friends, they found out that another one of the sister has, sisters has breast cancer. So, I mean, it's just, you know, why does these things happen? I, I need to move on. But you understand what I'm saying? If you're gonna be good soil, if you're not prepared for suffering, when it comes, you're gonna burn up. You're gonna burn up because you're gonna, where, where's God? God, God, this can't be. Here's my third directive, I think, comes from the, comes from the parable. Be discerning. The third, soul gets ki- the third soil kills the word of the kingdom because it's unheated soil. The heart of the man or the woman is unguarded and the weeds are allowed to flourish rather than be hoed out. The weeds kill our love for the king and his kingdom. The hardest part of gardening is keeping the weeds out. I'm not really a gardener, but is that not true? I mean, gardeners spend hours hoeing out weeds and farmers spend dollars spraying their weeds with, with weed killer. Weeds are the, one of the worst things for, for farming. What are the weeds that Jesus has in mind that can kill the word of the kingdom in our hearts and we not end up being good soil? It's, it's clear. He says, look what he says. He says it's um, the need, the necessary things in life. He says the necessary things for life, they they. Crowd out the word. They choke the word. What are the necessary things in life? There would be things like shelter and food. Listen, we can be so busy with work that we lose sight of the king and the kingdom. Right? I think that's what he's talking about. Don't let your work, don't let your work and your, your need for livelihood cause you to be choked out and, and, and the kingdom die in your heart. Here's another thing he says, it's the deceitfulness of riches. And I'm telling you guys, if anything ought to concern us, this ought to concern us. Jesus said it's hard for the rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. Here's some statistics. Half of the world's net worth or wealth belongs to the top 1% of the world's population. Half of the wealth belongs to the top 1%. 10% of adults hold 85% of the world's wealth while the 90, 90% hold the remaining 15% of the world's wealth. 30% of adults hold 97% of the total world's wealth. Now, I imagine that in this room, everybody in this room is in the top 10% of the richest people in the world. And I'm saying that not to make us feel guilty. I'm saying this, be careful. I'm saying be careful because Jesus said in this parable, and he says it other places as well, the deceitfulness of riches chokes out the word of the kingdom. So we've got to really be careful and discerning. This is where I say, how do you get to be good soil? Because that's what he wants of us. Well, be open, be open, be prepared, and be discerning. Look out for those things that come into our life and can choke out the word of God's kingdom. The desire for things and more riches can choke out our love for Jesus. Why do you follow a king who says to you, give everything you have and come and follow me? And I get it. He's never said to us like the rich young ruler, sell it all and just come and follow. We can't do it like, like that. Come and follow me. Give it all away. Come follow me. But isn't there a sense in which Jesus does ask us to give everything away, so to speak? In other words, to subjugate it to the kingdom and and let him rule and reign even over our riches and our monies and all of that kind of stuff? Yes, there is. And so, so be discerning. Be careful lest our desire for money and pleasures in this life overpower us and choke out the word of the kingdom in our lives. I'd encourage us to examine ourselves against the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Am I being deceived? Is money and power and pleasure my king or is Jesus my king? Who leads?
All right, that brings me to the second implied ramification. I think that was it. Be good soil. That's the point of the parable. But I think there's an implied, an implied thing here as well, and that would be be a good sower. Be a good sower. Now, I know this is like a corollary. It's really not the main thrust of the parable. But, but I, you know, if the sower goes out and sows, sows the, the kingdom seed, seems to me this is a corollary truth for us. And, and that's what he's telling his disciples to do, the 12. Remember, he calls the 12 out of all of them, and he says, here's what I want you to do. You're to go and sow the seed. And so uh, they're to go and preach the good news of the kingdom. Of course, the question I need to, I need to address is, hey, does that include us? Does that include you? Are you supposed to be a sower of the seed, right? That, that's a question we need to ask ourselves. Or is this just, remember, because he's calling those 12 out to go sow the seed. He's not calling all of them at this point. Is he calling all of us now to go be sowers of the seed? And I want to say, I think the answer is yes. Let me see if I can make a case for it. In Acts 1.8, Jesus promises, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the end of the earth. Is that just for those disciples at that time. It was specifically directed at them, but all throughout the New Testament, Paul and others would tell us that God has given us the Holy Spirit, right? That he has given to all of us the Holy Spirit. So if God has given to us all the Holy Spirit, then logically, all of us have been given the Holy Spirit so that we might be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. You follow that? All right, when we get into Acts chapter 8, it says persecution comes. And verse 4 says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution went proclaiming the word of the good news. And if you look at it, it says everybody got scattered except for the apostles, except for these people that we're talking about. And they all went and they proclaimed the, the good news as they were scattered. So I think that's the, the first thing I think is, is a command to all of us, and, and chapter 8 is an illustration how the church, basically all believers, thought they were to be scatterers of the seed. And so I'm, going to, I'm challenging you indirectly through this parable, don't just be good soil, be a good sower. Now let me give you some, let me give you some directive thoughts from the parable itself that come out of the parable as far as sowing. Here's the first one, sow generously. If the seed were limited, I'd, I'd say we need to rethink this, but the seed's not limited. The kingdom, the news of the, the seed of the kingdom is in your mouth and it's in your heart. It, it doesn't have an end to it. It's, it's there. You can sow as much seed as you want. You can be as generous as you want and you'll never run out of seed. It's just in your mouth and it's in your heart. So sow generously. Some seed that we sow is going to land on hard hearts and it's not going anywhere. Some seed is going to get choked out and burned out by the suffering that they have to go through. Other seed is going to be choked out by riches and, and just the things of this world. And only some of it's going to land on the good soil. So, so generously. You may be thinking I'm going to say to you something like this. So generously with the guy at the gas pump when you're pumping gas and there's a guy across the thing there from you. Right? So generously with him. And I would say that. And if you do that, man, I'm, I'm glad for you. I do that sometimes. But I just really want to tell you, so generously with your family. So generously with your children and your aunts and your uncles and your extended family. So generously with them, the word of the kingdom. 
Sow with your neighbors, everyone. Let's sow with our neighbors. Let's sow with our friends and our coworkers, right? The people that, that are in our sphere of influence, the people that know us, right? Let's sow generously with, uh, with them. Let's be honest, we don't sow generously, right? Can, can we all agree that that's, that's, there's only a few of us that sow generously, and I'm not even including myself in that number. Most of us don't sow the seed of the kingdom very generously. And I think we don't because we don't know the people, right? So we don't sow generously with them. And I think we don't because we know the people. Y'all get that? We don't sow generously because we don't know them, and we don't sow generously because we know them. And, and, and the reason is the same, but it's a little bit different. The reason is rejection. We don't want to be rejected over here and feel like we don't want people to think we're a kook, right? I don't want people to think I'm a nut or whatever. I don't want to make people mad, etc. Or I don't get in, I don't get in their space, so we don't we don't so generously with them. And these people over here, we definitely don't want them to reject us because we love them and we're in relationship with them. I, I think we, I don't know, I think the enemy has has convinced us somehow that it's always going to be rejection if we sow generously, and it's not. So I just want to encourage you to sow generously with your family and your friends. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, so sow generously. Here's my second uh, thing from the text. Expect failure. Of the four soils that Jesus mentions, three fail. I'm not saying that you should always expect failure. I think if we sow generously, we're we're. We're going to reap, right? But just recognize that you will be rejected and that people will, maybe they won't reject you, but they will reject the message. I believe I should be as persuasive as I can be, right? But don't forget, God has already written his existence and his law on people's heart. I'm not telling people anything new. I'm simply reaffirming, I'm confirming what they already know. I'm not, I don't have to convince anyone of something that God himself hasn't already shown them, that he exists and he's put their law, his law on their hearts, right? They already know that, they're, that, Jesus, that God is king. They don't know that Jesus is king. They already know that God is king. They already know they're responsible to him. And, uh, and yet they've hardened their hearts that my, my, by sharing the gospel, I am hopefully, I, God might use me to where they've been suppressing the truth, maybe, maybe crack the door a little bit, shine a little light on, on some of their resistance or rejection so that maybe they might consider the Lord or maybe they've been suppressing the truth forever. But here's my point. Um, expect that lots of people are going to reject the message because they've already been rejecting it, right? So just expect that they're going to reject it. I, I used to get really excited when people prayed a prayer with me. Like I would tell them about Jesus and, and I, would, I would always ask them, i say, hey, would you be willing to pray right here now and just ask Jesus to, to be your king? And, they, and people would say, at times they'd say, yeah, and through tears, right? They would say, yeah, through tears. And you know, many of those people they, they, they went on and became disciples and they're still living for Jesus. But you know, over time I found out that a lot of those people that would pray with me, in time they would, they would burn up with suffering or they would get choked out by all the other different things in their life. And so now I take greatest pleasure. I mean, when somebody, if I share Jesus and share the kingdom with someone and they say, man, I want to be a part of that kingdom. I want to follow Jesus. I, I actually still get excited about it, but not in the same way. 
My greatest excitement now is this, like John in his third letter, now I get the greatest pleasure in seeing my brothers and sisters walk in truth. The greatest pleasure now is when, when people follow Jesus and then five years they're still following him and 10 years they're still following him and they're growing more and more mature in the Lord. That's, that's where I get excited the most. Number three, anticipate fruitfulness. Anticipate fruitfulness. Now, that's, I'm confusing you now, right? I just said expect failure. Now I'm saying anticipate fruitfulness, right? No, I'm trying to say, yeah, we, 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 we expect that, that all the seed that we sow, I mean, there's three bad soils that aren't going to bring forth fruit. There's only one that's going to bring forth fruit. So when you sow generously, expect that so many will not. But I also want you to always sow anticipating fruitfulness when you sow the seed. Anticipate that some are going to believe. Some are going to bow their knees to Jesus. Some are going to give their lives to him and they're going to say, yes, I want to be a part of your kingdom. And they're going to go on and they're going to bring forth 30, 60, 100 fold fruit in their life. Never think, okay, that person over there, they're bad fruit. They're bad soil. I'm not sure with them. You know, on the contrary, whoever you look at, say, God, they might be good soil. They might be somebody whose heart is just ready to, to you know, follow you as king. Michael Tuck told us, uh, I think it was Tuesday morning breakfast. I'm using one of your stories, Michael. Um, but Michael told us about a new friend of his that he met. And he was telling him about being downtown and this very large, intimidating man. And they were down there to share the gospel. They were down there to, to share the news of the kingdom with someone. And this new friend of Michael said, yeah, man, I was so intimidated. I didn't want to go talk to him because surely he's not going to. But, you know, when they went and shared with him, this big, burly, intimidating man broke into tears and was willing to receive the Lord Jesus. So, you know, you cannot judge people. You don't know whether somebody's good soil or bad soil or, or thorny soil. You don't know what kind of soil is the heart of a person until you actually sow some seed and see what God does. I remember my analogy, and I've used it many times. Remember this analogy? We go up to a person, and, and we go up to a door, and you don't know if the door's locked unless you jiggle the handle, right? And if you jiggle the handle, the door's locked. Or if it's not, it's open, you can walk in. Well, people are like that, too. You, you never know whose heart is open until you jiggle the handle. And what is jiggling the handle of a person's heart? And my metaphor, it would be just trying to talk to them, ask them some questions, Ask them some questions about their relationship with God. So uh, if you sow generously, everyone, you will eventually discover that you will never know what's in a man or woman's heart before. And if you sow generously, you are going to reap. And what I mean by reap is you're going to see someone begin to follow Jesus. I, I tried to find this quote. I mean, I heard it years ago. I, still, I believe it's true. I cannot, I couldn't find it anywhere online. Supposedly, Jerry Falwell was asked a question, and his answer, I'm not even sure exactly what his question was, I just remember his answer was, all I know is the more I share Jesus with others, the more people enter the kingdom. All I know is that the more people that I sow seeds with, the more people enter the kingdom. So let's be generous and scatter the seeds. So this is just a rhetorical kind of question for you. Have you ever shared with anyone the good news of Jesus and, or the kingdom 
and watch them trust Jesus, watch them follow him, if you scatter generously, you will see that. Not all the time, maybe not even most of the time, definitely not even most of the time, but you will see that. And my final, my final applicational directive on, on this ramification of be a good sower would be this, rejoice in the harvest. And I know that Jesus doesn't say that anywhere in the text, but I think it's kind of inferred in the fact that the good soul brings forth 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And I'm telling you, I'm not a farmer, but that's gotta be, that's gotta be a happy day. <laughs> that's gotta be a rejoicing day when, when the, when the uh, harvest comes in like, am I right, Dick? Yeah. All right. When Hurricane Ian was coming through a couple of weeks ago, I think I already talked about this, but I'll mention again. You know, Baker, Baker, you know, since Sammy died, you know, Baker took over the farm and he's now, he just kind of had to step into his dad's footsteps or, or shoes and just be the farmer. But Baker's been working sun up to sundown for weeks, getting in his corn. I got a big Baker cornfield right near my house and um, go by it all the time. And, and I kept praying for Baker as Ian was being... You know, they were talking about Ian coming through. Because I've learned this, hurricanes lay down the corn, and that's not good for the farmer, right? So I was praying for him to get it all in, and man, he got it in before Ian came through. And I think Baker told me, I know he's got all his corn in the barns. And I can remember rejoicing for Baker. I can only imagine how Baker rejoiced at having all his corn in the barns. When we sow generously and the harvest comes in, I mean, it is a time for us to rejoice. And when someone grows and continues to grow and they, they you know, the hard, the winds of the sun of suffering, not S-O-N, but S-U-N, the, the winds of the sun of suffering comes in and begins to burn that person. And yet they continue to rest in the shelter of Jesus' arms, right? I mean, we can rejoice in, in that, that person going on and bearing fruit. Jesus told us that when one person comes into the kingdom, guess what the angels do? They rejoice more over the one coming into the kingdom than all of us who are already in the kingdom, right? They're rejoicing more over that new guy or new gal that's finally decided to come home and be a part of the kingdom, they're rejoicing over that person more than they are over us. So let's celebrate every person who comes into the kingdom. Celebrate every disciple who keeps growing, though the sun is hot and the suffering is great. Celebrate every disciple who keeps growing through the weeds, you know, and, uh, and the temptations are all around them, but they just keep on growing. So you be good soil and you be a good sower. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed.